I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. I am the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diets. This is episode seven. And today we're going to be talking about principle number seven of intuitive eating, which is cope with your emotions with kindness. Easier said than done. But first, I want to do a little housekeeping. In the last episode, I was going over the principle for feel your fullness. And I noticed when listening back, I don't often listen back to episodes that I've recorded because I would drive myself insane if I listened back to everything. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've decided to listen back because I thought a show didn't go well. And all I can hear is me floundering because I even during the recording, thought that the recording wasn't going well. Um, And it's just like, I figured out that's a way for me to torture myself. So I usually don't do it. But I realized afterwards that when I was talking about feel your fullness, principle number six, I kind of sped through it. And I wondered if I maybe didn't do as good of a job as I could have done explaining my idea of fill your fullness. Um, So I listened back and I realized that a lot of what I was talking about was not actually feeling your fullness, but it was more honoring your hunger. um, Principle number two. And I just want to go over really quick about feeling your fullness in case somebody didn't get it the first time, I think it's really important when you're eating to stop in the middle and think, am I just eating because I want to be eating? Which, by the way, is legitimate. There's no rule that says you cannot just keep eating because you want to be eating. But if you eat way past the point of being full, you will probably be uncomfortable. And after a few times of eating past the point of being full, you will notice that you actually probably don't like that feeling. So it's all about noticing how full you are and knowing when to stop. And usually this is a little less challenging, you know, if you're by yourself and you're making dinner for one or if you live with a partner, live with roommates and you make dinner together, it's not that high pressure of a situation. But I thought I would share something that happened to me that made me think, Should I be eating even though I'm already full? And that is usually when I'm at a family gathering or something, a barbecue, something like that, where there's a lot of food and I usually go nuts at a barbecue because I love hamburgers, I love hot dogs, I love corn on the cob. I just want all of it in my mouth. But then afterwards, if there's some kind of dessert, Sometimes I'm too full to eat dessert. And this happened. I went over to my dad's house for Father's Day and he barbecued. He made hamburgers and hot dogs and I had my fill of those. And then afterwards he says that he picked up a delicious 
peach pie for dessert and I just couldn't eat it. Side note, I don't really like fruit pies that much. I can handle them with vanilla ice cream, but in my opinion, if something needs vanilla ice cream in order to be good, then maybe you just like ice cream. So it doesn't really excite me that much to begin with, but I was also physically very full and didn't want to eat anymore. So on top of being full and not wanting to eat anymore, I also just wasn't excited about that food. If I'm full and I'm at a party and there's dessert, I will often still have a little piece of dessert um, because I love sweet things, as I've established on this show. But, you know, this particular dessert didn't excite me, and I could tell that the other people in the room were like, why are you not trying the pie? Try the pie, Emily. Why won't you eat the pie? And for me, it would be dishonest and it would be a disservice to myself to eat something when I'm already really full and I know I'm not going to feel great after and I'm going to be too full. So for me, I've drawn a hard line in the sand and that is that I don't give a shit about being polite. And that, that might sound a little bitchy, but I, I don't really care because if I gave a shit about being polite, then I would just have to eat everything in sight and I would feel completely out of control and not in charge of my own intake. And that's not how I want to feel. Of course, I want to feel like I am in control all the time. So I didn't eat that pie. And, you know, it it, it does happen a fair amount. There are certain things that are offered to me and I have no problem saying no I'm too full thank you it crosses my mind occasionally maybe that could come off as rude but I just personally think we shouldn't worry about the rudeness of that and just know that our intention is pure and our intention is to honor our hunger and honor our fullness and the two go hand in hand so I would keep that in mind, especially now, you know, it's summertime, there are lots of barbecues, and you might find yourself going a little hog wild at those barbecues, and maybe you don't have room for dessert, and you shouldn't feel bad about that. You shouldn't feel bad about saying no to anything that is offered to you if you really don't want it, um, because it just, again, makes you out of touch with your own body, and that is the priority here. So that was housekeeping. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all respect me because I can admit to my mistakes. And as Rihanna once said, you know, I didn't ask to be a role model, but it was put upon me. So that is what I'm doing. And before I go into the principle, I just want to do one more thing. I want to read one of your gorgeous iTunes reviews. Thank you so much for continuing to write reviews. They truly help out the show. I've been sharing them on Instagram on my stories as a thank you to everybody who's been writing reviews, but I also want to read some of the ones that touch my heart. And this review was written by a comedy bird, and the title of the review is Truth. Emily is wonderful, funny, charming, honest, and a great interviewer. I've enjoyed her comedy on other shows. Why are you not listening to the Hot Mess Comedy Hour yet? But it's exciting to hear her viciously take down our toxic diet culture with a combination of raw personal experiences and real examples from culture. Listen, enjoy, and thank her later when you're liberated from the tyranny of diets. 
amazing review. Thank you so much. I'm happy that you like the show. I'm happy that you like the interviews because believe me, I stress out about the interviews. I don't want to make them too serious or heavy, but I also don't want to make light of, of serious topics. So I try to strike that balance and I'm happy that you are picking up on that. So if you want your review read on the show, first step, you got to write one. Second step, click five stars. And third step, just write something nice. It always helps if you stroke my ego a little bit, but also write something, you know, substantial about the show. And now the main event, cope with your emotions with kindness. Principle number seven. This is the official definition from intuitiveeating.org. First, recognize that food restriction, both physically and mentally, can in and of itself trigger loss of control, which can feel like emotional eating. Find ways to comfort, nurture, distract, and resolve your issues. Anxiety, loneliness, boredom, and anger are emotions we all experience throughout life. Each has its own trigger and each has its own appeasement. Food won't fix any of these feelings. It may comfort for the short term, distract from the pain, or even numb you, but food won't solve the problem. If anything, eating for an emotional hunger may only make you feel worse in the long run. You'll ultimately have to deal with the source of the emotion. Now, let me break that down. This kind of goes along with what I was talking about earlier, um, except I'm not really talking about politeness now. I'm talking about... um, I don't want to use the term emotional eating, but it is often called emotional eating. And I think that emotional eating has a bad rap. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with eating for comfort. We have a whole subcategory of food in America called comfort food. And the whole idea is that when you eat it, it's comforting because it reminds you of, you know, being a little kid and having a big bowl of mac and cheese. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I enjoy comfort eating from time to time. Um, often if I've had a stressful day, I'll make myself a nice bowl of ice cream and I feel great about it. I think it's a great way to cope with emotions. But if you find that every time you're stressed or upset or hurt or angry that you turn to food and maybe you binge or maybe you just eat more than you wanted to, I would stop and assess what the feelings are underneath that you are dealing with via food. Because just like this official definition says, food will not fix any of your problems. It can distract from your problems, but the problems will still be there. And I was trying to think, um, because a few episodes ago, I was talking about the Kardashians and how I think they're a terrible example for young women. (laughs) I was trying to think who is a positive role model in terms of eating issues, body image issues, food stuff. And I immediately thought of Demi Lovato. You can take everything I have. You can break everything I am like a made of class. Like a made of paper. And if you're not familiar with Demi Lovato's music, 
it's not for everybody. It's very poppy, R&B-esque. Um, she has a phenomenal voice. She has an incredible voice, and it's completely real. Whereas I, I have this argument with my boyfriend sometimes. He likes uh, Selena Gomez better as an artist than Demi Lovato, and I think that is just crazy. And I think we only compare the two because they were both, you know, Disney kids gone pop, and they're the same age. But... I just think Demi Lovato is such a true artist and everything she does, you can tell that these raw emotions go into her music and also she's just an incredible singer. I mean, you you do not hear a voice like that every day. But she also has been very open about her drug addiction as a young person when she was on tour and trying to become a famous singer. Uh, She got addicted to cocaine and I believe other drugs. And she's been very open about having an eating disorder. She said she struggled with anorexia and bulimia for years. And it there was definite crossover with her drug addiction. And she's very, very vocal about body positivity and not turning to food related behaviors to solve your problems, just as we were talking about before. And I, I just happen to think she's really incredible. She put out a documentary a few years ago, and it's just uh, on YouTube. It's a free documentary. I would recommend that anybody who struggles with this stuff give the documentary a chance. Um, It is called Simply Complicated, and it came out in 2017. I watched it when it came out, um, and this was around the same time that Lady Gaga came out with Five Foot Two, which I thought was just a totally pointless documentary. I just, I, to this day, I do not understand what the point was. Everybody who saw Five Foot Two should go and watch Simply Complicated um, because I think it has more substance and is more applicable to what a lot of young girls go through, but just through the lens of this catalyst that is fame and early success so in the documentary there is a section and it's about halfway through she starts talking about being very young and being bullied in school um, and really turning to music and career goals as an outlet for herself but at the same time she thought the only way for her to be successful and to be perceived as a role model was to be thin and she even shows in the documentary she's in I guess her childhood closet and there's this collage with all these thin women out of magazines and in Hollywood and one of the women in the collage is Amy Winehouse and all the women on the collage are you know completely emaciated and that was the quote heroin chic look of that time but Amy Winehouse in particular really struck me um, because obviously Amy Winehouse died at a young age and struggled with a drug addiction and uh, alcoholism, but also with anorexia. And I remember seeing Amy Winehouse um, when she was coming up. She was performing on some award show, maybe the Grammys. And I remember thinking that she was going to fall over. She just looked unstable. I was 
so scared for her. You could knock her over with a feather. And it's just so disappointing that, you know, I think I had aged out of it a little bit that I, I knew Amy Winehouse had a problem and I was scared for her. But it's upsetting to me to think that girls that were just a little bit younger than me saw that and thought, oh, I want to look like that. That's what I need to look like, especially somebody who wanted to be in the entertainment industry. Um, Demi talks about wanting to be able to sing like Amy and look like Amy and be cool like her. You know, she she did have this element of like this cool girl who smokes cigarettes and drinks on stage, you know, and, and it's it was part of her image and it was ultimately a part of her downfall. So, you know, that was very, very striking for me. I, I rewatched this whole documentary this morning to be able to give you concrete examples in this show because I think that there's just so much in there. There's also an interview with Demi's mom and her mom admits to having been a perfectionist herself with her own body and being a dancer when she was younger and just thinking that thinness was so important and passing that down to her daughters. The collages on her wall and the pictures and the models, this isn't what you need to aspire to be like. This is not healthy. I never thought to say those things to her because I didn't know myself. My desire for perfection, I think I've always been that way. I felt I had to be thin to be beautiful and successful and that this is what you need to look like in order to be perfect. Which is not surprising. You know, it's not surprising that this would have come from somewhere uh, when she was very young. Demi admits in it that a lot of her mental energy, even throughout her recovery, has been devoted to her meals, mealtimes, what she wants to eat, what she wishes she could eat, what she already ate, what she feels bad about eating. Like I get envious towards people that don't struggle with an eating disorder just because I feel like my life would be so much easier. Ultimately, this goes along with the theme for principle number seven, which is food is a cover-up for the actual problems you face in your life. Uh, a lot of people think, if I can control my weight, I can control how others perceive me, and I can appear perfect even though I don't see myself that way. And listen, being perfect or attempting perfection is a trap because in attempting perfection, you are taking focus away from doing things that actually bring you joy. And you can see this uh, with Demi Lovato because obviously she has a passion for music. She is an, an incredible singer and she's wanted to do that her entire life. But in trying to be perfect and trying to be this idea of what she thought a star was, she almost started to resent the very thing that she was pursuing, which was music. And she started doing coke and lashing out at people. She started becoming a bit of a diva. And I mean, I love divas, um, as is evidenced by my Britney Spears rant in the first episode. Although I actually don't consider Britney Spears to be a true diva. Because, you know, while she is a pop diva, she's pop royalty. And that fits under the umbrella of, you know, pop diva dumb I don't know if that's a real word but anyway 
Britney Spears, uh, from all accounts that I've heard, has always been a very gracious, nice person, no matter what her level of fame was. Um, in Demi's case, you know, the more famous that she got, the more resentful she got. And then she started doing drugs and then she became a true diva lashing out at people. She punched one of her backup dancers in the face because the backup dancer told her manager that she was on Adderall or something. So she walked right up to her and punched this girl in the face. I remember thinking, I'm about to beat this bitch up. God damn. But, you know, she's honest about all this stuff. She's honest about what she was going through and how it affected her and how she had all this anger. And I think this is what we need to be doing. And this is the value of therapy, therapy, therapy. Go to therapy. I cannot recommend therapy enough. I have gone to therapy and it really changed the way that I think about my thoughts Wow, that sounded fucking dumb. But you know what I mean. Like, I, I, it changed the way that I would respond to negative thoughts because I knew how to calm myself down and think rationally, get out of my reptilian brain, all of that good stuff. I also got prescribed an SSRI because I do suffer from anxiety. Um, and I think that I used to try to control my, my food and control my weight and I was using that in a way to control this intense anxiety that I had. I just thought if I could control my weight, I could control the things that I thought that other people were judging me for. And that would make me seem more together and more perfect. Um, but really, it did the opposite. Also, side note, it occurred to me during all of this talk about perfection and trying to be perfect and thinking that being thin equals perfection they show scenes of Demi in this interview doing a vocal recording session and you know she's singing one song but they keep pausing after each line and she'll say oh I like the end of that line but I liked the beginning of the other line and the O sounded more there was more vibrato in that O and and I don't like the other O and you know they kept doing it over and over and over again no, you. I really like this take it's just listen. that last ooh is needs to be smoothed out yeah I mean in a perfect world absolutely well this should be a perfect world it's my album and I kind of just, um, it made me think about, you know, in the olden days, there were no programs that people could record artists on and then perfect the voice. Obviously, there's no auto-tune, but there was also, um, they use a program in recording sessions called Pro Tools, and that actually didn't exist until fairly recently. So... For example, if you listen to Frank Sinatra, fly me to the moon, not every single note in a Frank Sinatra song sounds perfect. But I actually think that makes it more magical. I think that it makes the recording better. The fact that every single note is not in perfect pitch and hasn't been artificially corrected or stitched together. Like nowadays, you could take a song and, uh, you know, happy birthday to you. You could take the ha huh and the ah and the p 
and the E in happy. You could take them all from different cuts, stitch them together, blend them together, and make this artificial sounding happy that is technically perfect. I will, I can admit to that. But I think that the nuance of having somebody do something in one take and having their voice ebb and flow and not always sound 100% perfect 100% of the time, I think there is a je ne sais quoi about that. I think I think that we're a little too focused on being perfect in today's day and age. You know, in the age of Facetune where you can smooth out all your cellulite and Pro Tools when you can make every note perfect pitch. It's It's a little... The fact that it is so artificial makes the perfection kind of a moot point. I don't know if that makes sense, but slide into my DMs at Lubination, L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, and let me know what you think about that. Because, you know, I know that recording tool, and uh, trust me, as a podcaster, I am a fan of every tool and program that can help me correct audio that sounds shitty, okay? But at a certain point, I just think it's a little much. I think when you are as talented of a singer as Demi Lovato, you should not need every single note to sound fucking perfect on a recording. And I think that that goes along with this whole idea of perfectionism and how she just thinks in order to be successful, she needs to be perfect. And I, I, I get the sense watching this documentary that it's still, you know a work in progress and she's still on a journey to kind of break free from this idea of of uh perfectionism also if you're a public person all of these things are a little more hazy you know if you are a private person and you know maybe you have social media but it's private or you know you're you don't put out all your bullshit on a podcast like I do or you don't record music like like Demi Lovato does and tour the world and perform for people. Basically, if you're not a megastar like me and Demi Lovato, I think all of this stuff is a little bit easier actually to apply because your perfectionism is doing nothing for you. Trying to be perfect, the pursuit of perfection is only going to make you feel worse about yourself because it's unattainable. These body standards that we have and general beauty standards for women, it just makes it fucking impossible for you to be this picture perfect image of what a woman should be because even the women who we may perceive as being perfect, they're still face tuning their photos. They're still making their waist smaller, their butts bigger. They're still getting lip injections We are living in an age of unlimited options, which is a great thing. I do think it's a great thing, but it can also be a very dark thing where we constantly think we need to change ourselves. And guess what? You don't. You simply don't. And on that note, I'm so thrilled to go into this conversation with a good friend of mine. She's a comedian in New York City. She is just incredibly funny and so genuine and well-spoken. Her name is Tracy Carnazzo. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. She talks about being a plus-size woman in comedy and surprisingly the opportunities that she's been denied for that reason, which I, if I'm being completely honest, 
never even considered. I always think of comedy as this neutral space where, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you look like. But the fact is what she's talking about makes total sense because on a comedy show lineup, there's often one woman for every 10 men. So it would make sense to me that a lot of these comedy club owners who have a reputation of being a little backwards and a little sexist, surprise, surprise, um, it would make sense that they would want their one woman on the lineup to be a conventionally hot woman or what they see as a hot woman. And that is really a fucking shame because people who are not conventionally hot are often the funniest because if you didn't grow up hot, you had to gain a personality. This might be a controversial thing for me to say, but it's true in my experience. You know, I grew up overweight and I was seen as kind of undesirable for a lot of my life. And if I could go back and change it, I don't know that I would because I truly became the person I am today by not thinking that I could coast on my looks. I always knew that I had to bring something else to the table for people to like me. And do I think that's right? No, I don't think that's right. But for the sake of this argument, I just think that to overlook any people that you don't think are hot is a fucking tragedy for comedy because you would just eliminate all the funny people in the world by doing that. But Tracy is a beautiful woman and she's also hilarious and you should definitely give her a follow. She's Trixie Tuzini on Instagram. That is in the show notes if you want to copy and paste. I really have nothing but great things to say about her. She's also just the most genuine person and is so open about her experience with body shaming and with her experience becoming a little more body positive, even though she admits to still struggling with a lot of that because it, it goes against all of these things that were taught to her and that she grew up thinking was really important, which was losing weight and being thin. And she's been working with a body positive coach or a, a rather a weight neutral health coach. She corrected me on the recording about that. Um, you know, she talks a little bit about what that process has been like and how it's working out for her. I think this is a really valuable conversation if you're interested in um, weight neutral health coaching. I think it can be something that's really, really useful if you're having a hard time with intuitive eating, if you're having a hard time staying on track, or if you think maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. These are certified health coaches that actually specialize in anti-diet nutrition and weight neutral health counseling. And it's a form of health coaching that's actually on the rise now because people are becoming more aware of intuitive eating, which is a fucking win. And on that note, I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Tracy Carnazzo. Everybody, today's guest is a friend of mine. She's a hilarious comedian, and she is the co-host of the Only in New York podcast, which is hosted by past guests, Chemda and Andrea Allen. I'm so excited to have her. Tracy Carnazzo, welcome to the show. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. I have been dying to do this podcast ever since you launched it. I have been hearing about this from every single one of my listeners. They're all listening to your podcast. Everyone's so like so into it. This is a topic that like everyone needs to hear about. I mean, 
you know I agree, but I was so surprised you sent me a screenshot from your private Facebook group for um was it Teen Mom Trash it's Talk? It's just it's just our trash talk. Private, got it, yeah. got it, got it. Tracy hosts another podcast called Teen Mom Trash Talk. And the community is very rabid. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they're they're just great. I got to tell you, they're uh, so I have a Teen Mom Trash Talk and 90 Day Fiance Trash Talk. And we have a secret group for all of our patrons. And we talk about everything. And you'd be surprised how many people really open up about their struggles with their body. Yeah, it, I don't I don't know a single person well, that's a lie. I do know some people who have gone their whole lives without having any kinds of body issues and any kinds of any of this stuff. But I don't connect with those people. I no. just even if I don't know whether they have or they haven't, I just it, I, the pieces come together when I find out that they were just like always a skinny child and just grew up ne never worrying about what they were putting in their mouth or sure. never having any kind of body shaming. I'm just like, mm, OK, well. We can't relate because this is like my struggle, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about your history with like body image and when you were growing up, um, did you have any kind of weight issues? Oh my God. Absolutely. So I was not chubby when I was a kid, or at least I didn't think I was. I've, I, I think that, uh, my perception of myself is really skewed because I find myself going back to look at photos of myself when I was younger to check and see if I'm accurate with how I thought I looked when I was younger. Yeah. And I was not a chubby child and yet I felt like it was projected onto me constantly that I was. By who? By my mother. Um, I was constantly on a diet, and I think um, that I don't. I don't know what it was. I, I remember going to Weight Watchers when I was young. I was very young. Maybe I was twelve. Maybe I was eleven. I don't even remember. I just remember going with my older cousin. My mother sent me, and um, I remember like this was. I mean, Weight Watchers wasn't Weight Watchers that we know now it wasn't the the beautiful butterfly that it is today. right it, it was a it wasn't caterpillar it exactly it wasn't the obsessive point counting it was the excessive I think um food group counting okay yeah they yeah. change up their system every few years and it's so funny that you say Weight Watchers because um Megan Ixum was on the show a couple episodes ago and she said that she went to a Weight Watchers meeting when she was 10 or 11 I, th I think she said and I know for a fact they didn't even allow children back then. Now they do. Now they have a whole like Weight Watchers for Children thing, which I'm right. so against. But back then it's like you had to sneak children into the Yeah, but Emily, what would meeting. you do if you had a fat kid? You can't just throw it out. Right, right. Well, you, you gotta could, fix it. You, you gotta could fix send it. it to fat camp like my parents did. Oh, that sounds lovely. Oh, yeah. I, That's good I, for anxiety, right? Fat camp? Yeah, it's good for anxiety and depression. Totally. It makes you feel so good about yourself, mm -hmm. especially when you have to go to these like little group therapy meetings instead mm -hmm. of, you know, at, at some camps they have soccer and basketball and like swimming. Sure. Um, at my camp, you know, they had all those things, but you couldn't do it every day because you had to go to these like therapist well, meetings. I mean, listen, being active is not healthy. Sitting around and telling everyone what you ate all day is way more healthy and that exactly. is more help and more helpful. And obsessing about it and sure. like counting your victories for the day. It's like it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing. But I didn't realize until um, this. Actually, I didn't realize until I started doing this podcast and I had to do like a lot of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. 
this whole um, weight loss camp industry is a scam because for the kids to keep coming back every year, they can't keep the weight off. You need to get them to lose like a significant amount of weight in a short amount of time. And then, you know, like chances are they're going to go back to the way that they've always been. They're not going to be doing aerobics every morning like we had to. And then the following year, they're going to come back. So what you're trying to say is that fat camp is kind of a scam because it keeps you coming back because you never really have your problem solved. Do you think the entire weight loss industry might be scaled on that exact model? Yes, Tracy. That's exactly what I think. (laughs) Mind blown. Listen, let me tell you something. Podcast over. I know. know. This is the last episode, guys, because we just solved the problem. And people can't, you know, a lot of people can't wrap their minds around this. And I, I... Truly, I understand because I used to be one of those people. I, you know, for years I struggled with extremely disordered eating. And I thought if I let myself, quote, let myself eat what I wanted or not exercise constantly, that I would just blow up into a balloon. But really, it's the obsession over these things that keeps you in that cycle. Um, And that's what they don't teach you because, you know, the diet industry is a multimillion dollar industry and I could go on and on and on. This is really interesting. I never really considered that it was not a permanent fix (laughs) because I've actually been 115 pounds since 1992. Wow. Yeah. You're welcome. I such, uh, I just do I just do aerobics. Yeah, I have a, a fitness video that I watch. It's a DVD, and I just do it. You know, just uh, like I think it's 21 hours a day, but it's fine. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> there are people that legit work out. Um, not maybe not 21 hours a day, but definitely like 10 <laughs> hours a day collectively. Um, so you weren't a chubby kid. At what point did you start struggling with your weight? Because I know that that's something that you've been very open about is struggling with your weight. Yeah, I, I don't remember when it started because I felt like, and even if I didn't struggle with my weight when I was younger, I felt like I did yeah. because I was led to believe that I was struggling with my weight my entire life. So I don't remember. I do remember uh, probably being like eight or 10 years old. And I remember um, my mother buying me a pair of jeans and they were my goal jeans. Oh, my God. What Were they, like, two sizes smaller? I mean, they were probably, like, a newborn size. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how big are you when you're 8 or 10? Like, I wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, I was on the swim team. We swam four times a week for hours and hours, and I was not allowed to not be on the swim team because if I wasn't on the swim team, I was going to gain too much weight. Do you know anything about your mom's history with weight? Like, was she an overweight child? So maybe she was scared of that for you. No, my mom was uh, my mom was very, very thin. Uh, You know, now that she's older, her body type has changed. But uh, growing up, she was more uh, way more on the skinny size side. I think she said that she was 100 pounds when she got married. Oh, Jesus. Wow. So she was very, very thin. Um. I don't know, you know, I I do know that my weight is, you know, it's part of your genetic makeup, of course. And, you know, my dad was a little chubbier, nothing, you know, to write home about, but uh, nothing to send to camp, you know, but. (laughs) Yeah. So what what's her attitude now? Does she still give you shit for it or has she laid off? I kind of. uh, So what I've done as a defense mechanism is I've totally shut down if she speaks to me about weight. Or about anyone else's weight as well. 
I mean, honestly, that's probably what I would recommend. I That is what I recommend to people who are taking like negative comments from their family to heart is limit contact with your family or, you know, set boundaries that say, I, I know all of these things. I've thought all of these things. I don't need you to remind me what you think about my body because that can be a very hard thing to say to your parents. Your parents are like these people that are their word is God for some sure. reason, even though like they had us when they were fucking our age. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why am I taking advice from two people who went to Yukon back when it wasn't a good school? You know, <laughs> you're killing me. I, <laughs> I but, totally but agree with you though. No, I totally agree with you. I think that, um, even, you know, there are so many things that I've learned as a child and that, uh, you know, I just kind of like grew up thinking that were true and only, I mean, I'm 36 years old now and I'm learning things now that I'm like, oh, that's not okay to say about your own body. That's not the way you should be thinking. Uh, body positivity is a very new concept to me. It's very, very new and it's way too new. Uh, it, back in 2000 and I believe it was 2016, I was part of, uh, a campaign for refinery 29 called see the 67. And hmm. what we did was, uh, there was a video that went along with it and, uh, it was, I, I don't know if, I think it was like seven of us maybe that they chose to represent plus size women in the industry and in the media. And they took a whole bunch of stock photos to, uh, have, plus size women represented in stock photos. And it was this campaign saying that 67% of women in the United States are plus size. 67%? 67%. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before, but you know what? It doesn't surprise me at all because I know that like straight sizes end at a size 14 and then anything from a 16 and above is considered plus size. But then depending you, on depending because sometimes 12 and up is plus size. Yeah. Well, it also depends. Yeah, it does depend if we're talking about high fashion or sure. uh, like designer clothing. I mean, you're not going to find anything above a size 12, maybe even a size 10. I, I was talking a few episodes ago about um, I don't know if you're familiar with the brand Lululemon Athletics. I am. Yeah. So a few years ago, and I can't, I still haven't done the research because I don't care to, but a few <laughs> years ago, they had a big scandal because they were inflating their sizes. So like if you would go into that store and you would say like, oh, these pants are a size eight. I'm a size eight. Let me try them on. They would be two sizes too small. Oh, no, uh, that doesn't seem like any kind of thing that a designer would do. Lululemon is so great because it's very inclusive of all bodies. You know, right. it's like if you have a 32 inch inseam or even a 35 inch inseam, they just, you know, they're there they for accommodate. you. They accommodate. And if you're from anywhere from a zero to a four, <laughs> they, it's just it's basically all inclusive. They just yeah. really. It's so like blatantly they only want skinny people to be wearing their clothing and it's actually fucking disgusting when you think about the fact that they are an athletics brand. Sure. So the implication is like, you, okay, bitch, if you're, you know, a size 10 and up, you can, you can work out, but you can't yeah. wear our clothes to work out. Cause we don't no. want people to know that you're 
allowed to wear our clothes. So I got to tell you, I am the person that will spend the money on good leggings because who doesn't like a pair of good leggings? Oh, yeah. And I looked into Lululemon and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to fit into these at all. Um, and I do fit into straight sizes and leggings a lot because they're stretchier and I'm not yeah. very big on the bottom. So, you know, I wear an extra large in the gap. You mm-hmm. know, in Old Navy, sometimes I'm even a large because Old Navy is just so kind to us. I will tell you that. <laughs> they really are. I actually, I remember the good old days shopping at Old Navy. Uh, it makes you feel great about yourself. But again, it's like you shouldn't have to tie that to how you feel. I'll buy whatever size fits my body. But if you don't yes. have it available to me, like I don't know where else to go. The last probably 10 years of my life, I struggled so hard to find Clothes that are flattering, clothes that fit, and clothes that are appropriate for my age. Yeah, that's a really good point because I'm sure that if we're talking about the plus size market, people do need to resort to fast fashion a lot of the time because they're, you know, often che- more cheaply made. Sure. Not, they're not available everywhere and not as many people buy them. So they, they don't put the same amount of money into the manufacturing of those clothes. Yeah, I felt like I was buying things because they fit me. And I that made me so sad that I couldn't really choose what I wanted. I mean, recently I was trying to buy a denim jacket that I, I just wanted like a very thin material denim jacket that was like lightweight, easy to wear with a tiny bit of stretch and good luck because there's you know three denim jackets for plus size women and it's you know there's just not the variety and when I talk about you know weight loss goals one of my biggest weight loss goal is to be able to fit into straight sizes just for the variety yeah I I completely understand that I I think it's undeniably frustrating when you feel like things are not made for you or you don't have access to things that you should have access to clothing is something that everybody should be able to wear everybody you're not allowed to walk down the street naked okay not yet anyway I mean I am campaigning for that (laughs) but until you can everybody should be able to find a variety of clothing that fits them and I mean also also of course like discrimination from doctors I don't know if you've experienced anything like that but I have when I was heavier my doctor's the first thing that I would, I, I actually still have extreme anxiety going to the doctor. And I always have because just the whole process of getting on that scale and having them tell you like, do you eat a lot of sweets? And I uh, like, what kind of exercise do you do? Like very pointed questions that have really nothing to do with what you went in there for. Yes, constantly. Uh, I actually had a, a, few problems with primary care physicians just a few years ago I went to a new one um, I was like you know what let me stop going to male doctors I'd like to try a female doctor because here we are we're in you know the year 2020 well at that time it was like probably 2018 and you know I want to really just like just trust some females right yeah So I decided that I'm going to switch my primary care doctor to this woman that I found. She took my insurance. She had great ratings. Okay, great. So I get into her office and I've never met this woman before. And the uh, receptionist explains that you go into her office first and not the exam room. So she's typing away on the computer and she doesn't look up at me and she says, I'm sorry that I'm not going to look up much. I have to type while I talk to you. This is just it's nothing personal. This is just how I do this. So she starts typing away and she starts asking me questions and very, very general questions. 
She barely even looks at me. And then she tells me about a new weight loss drug that I must try. And I tell her that I'm really not interested in a weight loss drug that I'm, you know, dieting, I'm exercising. And that's how I would like to lose weight. And she basically tells me it's the weight loss drug uh, or nothing. She tells me there are very, very few side effects. She doesn't know what my problem is. Um, so I told her that I'm very uncomfortable with this conversation and completely please not have this conversation anymore. And I was really, really direct with her. She basically tried to push the drug on me again. And I said, I'm leaving. And she said, you can't leave. And I literally walked out of her office through a very long hallway and out the front door. Wow. Women can be assholes too, huh? She didn't even look up at me. She didn't examine me. She didn't ask me what was going on. She didn't, I didn't beg her for a weight loss drug. I didn't ask her for a weight. I didn't say what's on the market. Anything good? Yeah. You were just in there for like a, an initial. I was just being me. I was just being me. Ask me. And that's why I get so angry because, you know, you look at me and you don't know anything about me unless you know especially as a doctor that never met me before. So I could have been 700 pounds and now I'm on my way down. You don't know my history. Right. Right. And to be honest, even if she did somebody, you you shouldn't be pushing any kind of drug weight loss or otherwise on somebody who is not interested in taking that drug. Cause yeah. you're a, you're a doctor, you know what yeah. I mean? I, yeah, that's, that's unfortunately, that's really not surprising. I'm very few people had seizures though. So just keep that in on, mind. Just, on the drug. Yeah. Oh, well that's good. I mean, yeah. I have seizures and I don't take any drugs at all. So, Oh, well then you should do this weight loss drug. It's very, very good. It's brand new. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't end up taking it. I did not. I'm not into uh, a good weight loss drug. And I love how they sell the weight loss drug. Like you'll lose two to three pounds a month with diet and exercise. With diet and exercise. And I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. I could just diet and exercise. Yeah. (laughs) I thought I was going to lay down for this pill. That's so that's fucking nuts. Um, And then like. I'm guessing you never saw her again. I never saw her again. Did you eventually find a doctor that was a little more understanding, open-minded? Yeah, I found I found a great doctor and I go to him now and I feel like I could tell him anything and he's definitely never pushes me to do anything that I don't want to do and he monitors my blood work and he makes sure that I'm healthy and uh, he really takes it at um, the just he's looking at my health that's all he's looking at is my health he's not looking at me Uh, I just you know being a plus-size woman when people look at you a certain way you know why they're looking at you a certain way and it's just the strangest feeling in the world to just I guess wish that you were thinner when someone's looking through you right just to feel like you exist yeah yeah, I, I completely understand that. And I've been there when I was younger, and it, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. I even noticed in college I lost uh, a lot of weight, and that was, like, my first um, real diet. Like, I had been on diets before, but this was the first time that I was, like, very committed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. And, you know, as a senior in college – you can imagine like you would notice the difference very clearly on like how men treat you and just I mean how people treat you in general as a young girl because when you're overweight they they a lot of people look through you. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been denied opportunities in comedy and entertainment and acting because of my weight, and I've been told that. That's a little shocking, even in comedy? Absolutely. Like t- like on TV? No, like uh, comedy clubs. That's really? Yeah. And I've been, yes, absolutely. And I've been told that. I've been told that, you know, they want someone more attractive. And that probably has to do also with the fact that you're a woman. They, if they're going to have a woman sure. on stage, they want an attractive woman or else what's the point of even having a woman on the line? Exactly. Right. I mean, an ugly man is one thing. At least he's funny. Yeah. All the men are ugly. It's slim pickings here in comedy, it's ladies and gentlemen. It's slim pickings, <laughs> let me tell you. Well, um, speaking of, of opportunities, you got a great opportunity um, last year or earlier this year. You were in a Vice documentary about OCD. I was. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about the aftermath of that? Because I know that you've spoken about having a lot of body shamey comments directed at you after. Sure. So I did this uh, documentary advice and I was so excited uh, to be working with them, to be in this documentary. They just have such a giant audience. And I didn't know a lot about Vice before I did this. I just knew I have a friend that has a show on the network and he gets great feedback. And I was like, I can't wait. This is this is a really big part of even my career. Right. So I'm just going to get like all eyes on me. And I'm very excited about this. And the video comes out and just minutes later, there's thousands of comments uh, just suggesting that I die because of my weight. And the video was about my OCD and uh, my germophobia and barely anyone even commented. It was so bad. The advice turned off the commenting. Oh, my God. They turned off the comments so that nobody was even able to. Yeah, write because anything. it was getting so disgusting. Um, and then just days later, it was released on Instagram and it was clips of it. And again, uh, they left the commenting on for that and on Facebook. And I just got so many DMs. I got people emailing me because they found my website and they were just like asking me to die, telling me like all these crazy things that I couldn't even believe. But I ended up uh, confronting some of these men. Was it mainly men? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That actually is odd to me because I find that women can be very, um, God, I don't want to use the word catty to describe women. Sure. But yeah. On, I, on social media in particular, women can be very pointed about other yeah, women's bodies. Maybe there were one or two, but it was it was men that were very outraged by the size of my body. Oh, that's what the, wow. that's what they took away from this documentary was the size of my body, not my hair that was amazing, not <laughs> my apartment that I decorated to make sure that it looked great on the video. Or it, your this, crippling OCD. <laughs> or my crippling OCD. It wasn't my mental illness. It was the size of my body that was so offensive to these men that they felt like they had to tell me and some even had to threaten to kill me. And I, you know, it's, but it's good. It's good therapy for them. You know, they really get to speak their mind, freedom of speech. So I decided that I was going to now on the comments on Instagram, I decided to confront a few of them. And I have to tell you, maybe I confronted five of them with a response. I think one of them was really nasty to me and kept, I was like, all right, well, I mean, at least you're who you are. One of them asked me out. He told me that I was so good looking and he wants to get to know me more. And he's so glad that I reached out and he's so sorry about what he said. Um, Then other men said like that they were shameful of their bodies and they were so sorry and they were projecting onto me. 
Wow. So they admitted to that. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's very, very deep. So that did give me some comfort. But the amount of people that I had, you know, just spewing venom at me and I still do. I still have that. I have that people that listen to my podcast and don't like me for some reason. I, I get so much hate and it's never about very rarely do I get like, I hate her podcast cause it's bad. Yeah. Well, how, it does it cross over into the review section because maybe mm. this is a conversation for another day, but you can get Absolutely. those removed. You can get those removed. Interesting. Oh, we'll have to chat. Um, yes, it has crossed over into that, but it's just so funny how, um, you know, the things that we're confident in, like, I know that my podcast is good. I know that I'm good at what I do, right? So I'm not really, that's okay. If you don't like my podcast, that's all right with me because I'm okay with that. But I am self-conscious about my body. So when you review my podcast and just say, like, she's fat, I'm like, oh, that's... But also, nobody's too fat to talk into a microphone. Right. Like, well, I mean, what are you I did, commenting on your voice is too fat for my ears. I did a radio show uh, on Sirius XM a few months back, right before COVID hit. And people were tweeting at me about how fat I am. I was like, guys, it's a radio show. You can't even see me. Yeah. And if they can, if they can hear how fat you are over the thing then they're being too analytical I mean listen granted I was eating three slices of pizza while I was on mic <laughs> and maybe they had a point but I'm gluten yeah. free now yeah <laughs> yeah so thank you guys for that push this this was also during the beginning of quarantine right yes that this happened the documentary on came out it was it was Easter morning. It was a little present from Jesus. Oh my gosh! So you are in your apartment. Mm -hmm. I imagine you know you have a lot more time. And it's eleven a.m. It's eleven a.m. All of these comments are coming in. How do you? How did you deal with it? I went into my bathroom and I was like, "What's the most disgusting thing I could do?" And I sat on my bathroom floor because <laughs> I was like, "This." <laughs> what's the I most? I mean, dramatic? for the amount the amount that you clean your bathroom, right. it's I mean, actually it's, not that gross. It's not that gross, but I mean, it's the grossest thing I could possibly do in my apartment. Uh -huh. So I sat on the, the bathroom floor and I was like, I'm going to live in the bathroom now. I'm just going to stay in here uh, because I don't want to come out of the bathroom. It's a safe place. Yeah. And I did that for a little while. And then eventually you had to leave the bathroom. Right. And then I was like, well, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this is gross. And then and then you also told me that you started working with a, a body positivity coach. Yes, I did. I was so happy. I guess, you know, it's like everything happens for a reason. Thank you millions of people on the internet that told me I was fat because it really, uh, it, it uh, I posted about it on Facebook and a friend of ours and a friend of the show, Billy Presida, reached out to me and said that he had some resources and that his girlfriend, Megan, uh, has a girl, a group of girls that get together and they chat on zoom and it's i think they're called the fat chicks of jersey is that oh, what their name great yeah name. they have like I and they have like an instagram thing and he's like why don't you come to one of these zoom meetings and meet these girls they're so fucking amazing so i was like perfect so i do this zoom call and i don't know what it's going to be like and in that zoom call i met a woman who started talking to me after i told my story and sh her name is stephanie roman and i've been working with her she's a weight neutral health coach so i uh i started working with her right after that because the things that she was saying to me like she i was like finally like someone kind of understands this but the body positivity part of of life 
is something that's just I, I never really understood before. Had you heard of it before or I heard of it, like I said, when I worked with Refinery Twenty Nine a few years back, I was like, All right, I guess there's some women that are plus size and they're okay with that and they're not right. trying to change that. I didn't understand it. Right. Because you had but grown I was up like, like constantly sure, I'm like, being to told each you their to own. change your body. Right. I'm like, I don't know if they're like trying to be fat. Like, I don't know what they're doing, but like good for them. Sure. But I didn't, I still didn't understand it until, you know, probably like last year when people are started, I started, I listened to a, a podcast actually that I don't know who recommended it to me. It might've been uh, a nutritionist that I was seeing at the time. And I listened to this and they were talking about health at any size. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> That's crazy. And then I was like, this is the stupidest podcast ever because <laughs> they don't they don't even get it. You have to lose weight. Yeah. Why would you want people to stay fat? And this I was and because that's that's what you're supposed to think, right? Yeah, of course. And people cannot wrap their heads around the idea I that couldn't. Like, you can be healthy. I'm going to sound like an idiot at any size. It's literally no. the name of the movement, but it's but like, I, let's not wait until we lose X amount of pounds to then see ourselves as healthy. Let's live our most healthy lifestyle now in our current bodies that we have. Right. But I just didn't understand that. And I think that it takes a real lot. It's, you know, losing weight when you're, when you're a plus size woman or like, the, the diet culture is the all lives matter of the of the racist culture that we're living in right now. And it's like, but all lives do matter. And you're like, wait, but that's not <laughs> right. That's not, I don't know if I would make that comparison, um, but I see where you're coming from. Because, right. But because it, it's just hard to understand why that wouldn't be how it is. Oh, I see. So like you perceived it as um you perceived it as like mumbo jumbo that people would just say to be like, okay, well, mine body's okay too. And I don't sure, need to lose like, any weight. I don't know about that. Yeah. It's just something that until you could hear the backstory on it, you might not understand. I mean, so many people, you know, you could tell people, you know, all you want, like, you know, you could be healthy to any size and that just doesn't seem normal. Yeah. Well, it goes against everything that we've learned and it even goes against, you know, the medical industry as right. we were talking about before. So how could you not think that when every right. time you turn on the TV, there's people saying like, I lost 120 pounds and I'm healthier than ever. Like you just you equate health to a lower weight. Yeah. And you don't even really think about like oh, wait a second, where are these studies coming from that say, like, the lower the lower your weight is, the healthier, the healthier you are? Like, right, that's and then, not you know, getting getting kind of, like, accused of lying in a food diary when, you know, I, I remember years ago I went to L.A. Weight Loss and uh, I was probably, like, 22. And, the you know, you get a coach because they're very uh, intelligent uh educated coaches mm -hmm. at these places right so you get a health coach and the coach was like okay tracy you got to stop drinking beer okay. and i was like oh okay uh i don't drink and she's like sure okay you still got to stop drinking beer and i was like okay she's like and soda i was like listen i don't drink my calories i've learned that at a very young age that i don't drink my calories yeah I'd rather eat a slice of pizza than drink my calories. It's just who I, I am. I understand that. But can I just interrupt really briefly? Sure. We need to end the crusade against soda. Soda is the most delicious thing. I don't like it. Okay. Well, fine. 
but I love it. And when people say like soda is the reason why like we're all going to blow up. I think it's probably rotting your insides now. I don't I don't think it rots your insides any more than other other food rots your insides. Like what are you just going to eat raw vegetables for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, that's what I eat. Yeah, that's all I eat. Wait. Oh, that's that's all you eat. I wonder mm-hmm. what that. I yeah, I just had a uh, had a broccoli for lunch right before I talked to you. <laughs> just a broccoli steak. Yeah, it was just raw. Um, I uh, I I cut it up a little bit, but I really want my teeth to do most of the chewing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It burns yeah. more calories that way. <laughs> it's actually Gross. negative calories, and I Gross. had a whole entire. Um, I had, I had four stalks of celery. People used good. to say, yeah, people used to say that about celery and uh, like in the 90s and stuff. And I remember all these girls at the it's cafeteria. Negative. Yeah, it's negative calories. They'd have sticks of celery. They'd be dipping them in vinegar and just like chewing on them. Uh, I was dipping them in blue cheese and ranch. <laughs> Is that, that I mean, that's delicious. That's like you I, get that on a, the side of your chicken wings. That's amazing. <laughs> I was filling them with a little bit of cheese and then you, you stick the ant you know, the, 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 the raisin. Yeah. I love the ants on the log. It's so good. Um, okay. So you're working with this woman now. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear. I'm actually, we were talking about this before the show. I'm going to try to have her on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to have more experts on the show and like people in the field to, you know, tell me if what I'm saying is bullshit, which I know that they won't. But she would probably let you drink soda. I'm just going to let you know. I, I, there's no, I mean, listen, I used to not drink soda either because I thought that if you drank soda, then suddenly you would be fat, but it's not. No, I don't think that's how it works. I just don't, I don't like soda. I wasn't, I, I think it's also like what you were brought up on, not having yeah. to do it weight, just like the things that were in your house that, you know, I mean, listen, we had juice in my house. It was probably the same exact amount of sugar as soda. True that. I just never had a taste for soda. Yeah. So it's enough. not something that I ever did. I enjoy drinking water. I like drinking, you know. Well, I will say that, you know, if you drink a lot of water, water is amazing for you and it it clears your headaches, it clears your skin, um, it helps you sweat more. Like water is amazing and I'm not sure. I'm not anti people drinking. Are you anti water? I'm not anti I will say you this is anti-water. my official statement. I am not anti water nor oh. have I ever been you better get yourself a publicist because I'm gonna fight you to the I'm gonna get one. canceled over this this is people oh, do Emily not doesn't like, like water people do not like their water being fucked with <laughs> I'm just wondering um we do need to wrap up soon but I'm just wondering sure. like how do these sessions go like you get on a Skype call mm-hmm. and what do you guys talk about well, first of all, it's Zoom because this is 2020 and there's all no right, more Skype. All right, all right, I'm, I'm um, aging we out talk, of this. <laughs> we've been talking about like she. I like she. She's been cr- trying to correct my thoughts. I believe. I think that's that's what she's trying to do. Some like voodoo on my brain and start making me think uh, a little bit differently because we are programmed. We are programmed from our environment to try to lose weight at any cost mm-hmm. all the time. Everything that you do is to try to lose weight and. You know, she's trying to uh, just, I guess, take the obsession with weight loss away from me. Okay. And is that, does she ask you what thoughts you have surrounding food or is it? Okay. And how does she correct it? Like, can you give me an example of something that you might have? Sure. I mean, just, just the entire movement, you know, she's said to me like, well, what would you feel like if you weren't, 
you know, it's like right now I'm not necessarily on Weight Watchers, but I'm not necessarily not on Weight Watchers because aren't we all kind of always obsessively counting what we're eating, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always kind of taking things into consideration. Okay. Like, okay, well, I wouldn't eat that because I know that that's way too many points. And even if I'm not tracking all my points today, that is inappropriate amount of points for me right now. So it's taking that away and just saying like, oh, I would like to eat this. And I'm going to eat it. And that's that to me, I'm really struck. I am still struggling with that. It's really difficult. Um, That took me a really long time to to break out of also because, you know, I used to obsessively count my calories and I used to play this game that you could tell me any food and we're not going to play this right now because I think it would be triggering for some people, but you could tell me any food and I could tell you the number of calories that were in it, like within a 10 to 20, uh, absolutely. It's almost like when you see those movies where there, there's like those mathematical geniuses and you could see like the numbers over everything. Yes. And it's all the equations. Right. And like the equations are just like popping out of their head. And yeah, I understand that. And you're like, if I eat a hard boiled egg right now, then later I'll be able to have a fucking yogurt with Oreos in it. Right. And then you're like, this is, this is where it comes from. And I said to, um, I said to, uh, Stephanie, uh, I said, you know, we, I, I think I was okay. I think I wasn't born like this. And I think I learned, I picked up these habits, you know, every single diet, I took away a little bit more of a disorder. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm, I'm so happy that you're on this, for lack of a better word, journey and that like that you're getting in touch with your body because I think that, you know, we think we think that when we lose weight, we're going to feel better about our bodies. But I think the real issue is that we're out of touch with our bodies. Sure. Like, all of this, um, you know, calorie counting or points counting or whatever. It's like it's taking away from us understanding what what our bodies actually need because you know if I say oh what I really want is um I I don't know what's delicious what I really want is a hot dog but like I think that's unhealthy or I think it's right it it's has bad well that's the other thing it's it's she's trying to teach that there's no quote-unquote bad food right and and giving yourself what you want in the long run is actually more beneficial because then when you have access to it, you're not going to like feel like you're out of control with those foods. Sure. I mean, how many times I've gone on some kind of calorie restrictive diet and I've been like, oh, my God, I just want a donut. I just want a donut because you see these pictures on Instagram and then you realize like, well, I didn't really eat donuts. Yeah, like I don't even <laughs> like donuts. I don't really even do that. So I don't know why all of a sudden I'm looking for foods that I don't even really eat. Yeah. And a lot of people have a fear when they start doing it. I don't know if she calls it intuitive eating with you or she. No, I I don't think that um, I I don't know what her stance on intuitive eating is. I think it's kind of like the overall goal. I've read the book on intuitive eating Mm -hmm. and my my old nutritionist was working on that with me. Okay, but it was. You know, it's just so overwhelming. That's what we that's what I talk about on on this show. And I I know that when people start doing it and I know from my experience, when I started doing it, you do people a fear is that you're going to go a little crazy. Sure. And that you're going to be eating, you know, ice cream for a week straight. And that's true. Like, I'm not going to (laughs) say that you that you won't do that. Because I did that, I would go through like pints and pints of ice cream because I never would let myself have ice cream. It's my favorite thing to eat. Sure. But now, 
now that I've gone through it for a few years, I can have a, um, a package of ice cream sitting in my freezer for, you know, a month and not look at it and not think about it because unless you want it unless I want it. And then if I want it, I have a reasonable amount of ice cream. It's not really that major. And the mental capacity that that freeze up in your mind is like, oh, my God, I can start another podcast now. Yeah, I, I always uh, I think about this constantly. Like, what would I worry about if I was then? Like, I feel like I wouldn't have a care in the world. I think you would worry about the same things, though. Like, <laughs> I, think I, think, so too. I think you would just be worrying about your appearance, maybe in other regards, or you'd oh, be sure. worried that you'd put it back on. You know what I mean? Like, it's it never really gets better until you address those issues within yourself. Yep. Yeah. And on that note, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Of course. Where can people find you and follow you? Everyone could find me at TracyCarnazzo.com. And you could find me on Instagram and Twitter at Trixie Tuzini, T-R-I-X-I-E-T-U-Z-Z-I-N-I. I'm back, baby. Um, I just loved talking to Tracy about her experience. I, I really loved that conversation. I love anybody who's really open about their struggles because why not? We all struggle with this stuff. And I think it's important to share ex our experiences so that we know we're not alone. And once again, if you are interested in health coaching from a weight neutral perspective, the health coach that Tracy has been seeing is Stephanie Roman. She's on Instagram as S Roman Coaching. Give her a follow. Um, Tracy has nothing but good things to say about her. She says she has the sweetest demeanor and is very professional and lovely. That would be a good resource. Or you can just Google it if you want to find someone in your area. Um, yeah, I would recommend it. I've never personally done it. Although I, I have done cognitive behavioral therapy, which I think kind of accomplished the same thing, that along with reading a lot of books about intuitive eating. So I, I'm, I'm self-taught, you know, as the uh, childhood prodigies would say. But if you're interested in that, I think that is a great way to really hold yourself accountable and stick to intuitive eating even when you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I feel shitty. That's somebody that you can turn to and can talk some sense into you when you can't talk sense into yourself. So that's it for this week, guys. Slide into my DMs. Once again, I am Lubination, L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram. Keep making the podcast your Instagram stories. Keep tagging me in it. Keep writing iTunes reviews. Spread the fucking word because this needs to get in everybody's ears. I truly believe that. And this is a revolution. And what do you need in order to start a revolution? You need lots of people, okay? Like, we could we could try to start a revolution with, you know, 100 people. But it's not going to be that successful. So send episodes that you like to your friends and kind of trick them into starting to listen themselves. And then you guys can talk about diet culture and how fucked up it is on your own time or you could listen to the podcast together you could make this a mutual collective experience all right bye